Wrestling Federation. For over 50 years, the revolutionary force in sports entertainment. The following program contains material too hot for some. Viewer discretion is advised. What emotions beat in the heart of a champion? A sense of power. Euphoria. Or perhaps fear. Knowing full well that tonight could be the very last night he ever enters the ring as champion. What thoughts race through the mind of a former champion? Rage. Defiance. Or perhaps frustration. That what once defined him as mighty no longer is his. And what anger dwells in the soul of a man who is denied his chance to possess the coveted gold. Revenge, they say, is a dish best served cold. Three men bound by one dynamic passion. Tonight, it'll take a 15-foot-high steel cage to harness their emotions and avert anarchy in your house. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, we're coming off Father's Day 2020, and in honor of Father's Day, you picked a pay-per-view featuring Big Daddy Cool. You picked a Big Daddy for Father's Day. I think that was the tie-in. It was. It was one of the major tie-ins. Not really, no. Actually, I was just happy to see the In Your House brand get brought back except for the fact I was a little sad that it was an NXT show. I would much rather have saw that on the main roster, in my opinion. I love the In Your House. I love all of them. I enjoyed them all. I still turn them on. And so, yeah, I'm happy to review that. And we are off the hills of Father's Day. And Father's Day, I hope every father out there had a great Father's Day. One person that is a true father in wrestling, one person who helped the deep-seated roots of Southern wrestling in the NWA is Johnny Walker, a.k.a. Mr. Wrestling Number 2. He unfortunately passed away this past week at the age of 85. Just definitely want to get a, give a major, major shout-out to, to what his accomplishments were because that, uh, that high knee, man, that high knee was, was brutal when I was a kid and watching him in his in his 50s and 60s, and uh, I definitely, 
he it, it's a serious loss for for deep rooted Southern wrestling fans. It's a big deal. And uh, I did a past you know a show the uh, this past weekend, and we did a ten bell and saluted him for the fact that here it is we were in his hometown, you know, and so we definitely we definitely wanted to to show our respects and. Uh, it's a major loss. Yeah, he was a big part of uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling, Mid-South Wrestling. His Probably his biggest run on TV that he would be known for is when he was coaching Magnum TA. And so he would be on the TV show, and Jim Ross would introduce these videos of him coaching up Magnum TA. So he was like Magnum TA's... He was basically Jose Lothario to Magnum TA in the 80s as... as uh, Lothario was to Michaels in the 90s. That was his role on TV. It's it's a major loss for like I said for Southern wrestling. But uh Yeah, he did go to the WWF you know, very briefly for uh 2 years from 84 to 86 and was mainly used as just a jobber. But he was at the end of his career anyway, so would end his career in Hawaii Championship Wrestling, which is where he ended up moving to Hawaii and uh, passing away there. So, a nice place to retire to. Ask Kevin Von Erich. He'll be glad to tell you. Hawaii is definitely the place to retire. And also the Mr. Wrestling gimmick. I mean, there's been a million Mr. Wrestlings. He wasn't even the original Mr. Wrestling. He was the tag team partner of Mr. Wrestling, but uh, would sometimes fill in for Mr. Wrestling, number one. If <laughs> So, that, that was a great thing about wearing a mask. One of the, the rare white people to wear mask gimmicks that uh, worked and was <laughs> successful and I believe even when he would show up to conventions and stuff he was still rocking the mask like this guy oh yeah this guy stuck to kayfabe very strictly and uh so in his 70s and 80s he's still showing up to conventions with his mask on absolutely yeah nobody's seen his real face and that's <laughs> that that I truly respect you laugh I'm being honest that I truly respect I know that he meant a lot to Southern wrestling fans, but to me, I just... The Mr. Wrestling gimmick is just so generic that he almost sounds like a fictional wrestler that they would put on a WWE video game roster or, like, those old THQ games that... Like, Curry Man or whatever would be, oh, it's Mr. Wrestling, okay. Uh, What is Mr. Wrestling? It's just a guy in a mask, okay. But he came along in an era before gimmicks were really refined, so I guess I can cut him some slack, but... It's always just been that gimmick, uh, just being called Mr. Wrestling. Or it reminds me, it reminds me in uh, Speed Racer of Racer X. He's just a guy with a mask. <laughs> he's the reason that you had so many after. You know what I'm saying? Because he pulled it off so well. And so, uh, my our thoughts and prayers and. Condolences go out to his family and friends. And uh, an interesting story here on his Wikipedia page forward. is about uh, Jimmy Carter cited him as his favorite wrestler, and he invited him to his presidential inauguration. But the Secret Service wanted him to take his mask off. Obviously, you don't want a masked man away from the president <laughs> out in the crowd, and so he had to decline the invitation because he was not going to unmask to go to the ceremony. There you go, right there. That is uh, that speaks volumes in and of itself. You got the chance to go to a presidential inauguration and you decline 
due to the fact of you being true to your gimmick. That right there is true kayfabe, and I respect the hell out of it. Well, some things that we don't respect are domestic assault, sexual abuse, (laughs) and a lot of other bad things that go on in this world. And unfortunately, this week in wrestling has been an awful week for wrestling news. It started last week with the announcement that a WWE performer, one of the Performance Center people, I don't think it was a main roster person, they had tested positive for COVID-19. And I thought that was going to be the biggest story to come out of last week. Well, I was very, very wrong because on Wednesday, the hashtag speaking out uh, started trending on Twitter. And I believe the first allegations were made towards a wrestler named David Starr who I believe is a British wrestler, it turned into everybody. It's a massive list, mostly UK talent, a lot of NXT UK talent, uh, but a lot of the guys that used to be in Progress, which is an indie company over there, and some guys that are on the NXT roster in in the US, and some people in AEW, and even some people behind the scenes in the NWA and AEW and... I mean, it was just, the list goes on and on, and I didn't really know how to cover this, Patrick, because there's been so many, and also, I don't want to, I want to tread very lightly when it comes to this stuff, because I don't know all the details, I don't know exactly what's going on in each individual's case. All I can really report on are some things that definitely did happen, and that is Jack Gallagher uh, was released from his contract by the WWE. Uh, We don't know if that's related to this or not, but they didn't wish him well in his future endeavors, so that's a clue to me that it ended on bad terms. He was a guy that I liked in the Cruiserweight Classic, but he dropped his old-timey wrestler gimmick. He's a very small guy, so he was going to need to really stand out, and he dropped that gimmick a few years ago, turned into just a regular guy, got a big tattoo across his chest, and was basically forgotten about. But if if these allegations, if, if it involves him, which apparently it might, uh, that's very bad, and there, there's really no room in, in any industry for people like that but we'll never know so david Lugano from his position in wa probably to me the biggest one that, that came out of this because this is a guy that was the number two guy in the nwa i mean billy corgan's right hand man the guy that was responsible for editing yeah. those shows for youtube the guy that was running the operation this is as if vince russo or uh, Paul Heyman, or uh, this is as if Bruce Pritchard was basically uh, fired. This is the right hand man, the guy running a show. As I mentioned, Bruce right. Pritchard, they they let they let Paul Heyman go from running Monday Night Raw. Now Bruce Pritchard runs both Raw and SmackDown, which is a scary thought, but uh, <laughs> it is. It's. We can get into that for a second after this. But uh, David Lagani, yeah, was accused by someone named Liz Savage on Twitter. And she had a very detailed complaint against him. And Billy Corgan, apparently, that was good enough for him and ended the relationship between the NWA. Or, well, David Lagana stepped down, but uh, I believe he was forced out by Billy Corgan. And the NWA has shown us in the past with. Jim Cornette, who, by the way, his name also came up during some of this stuff, which is crazy to me. Uh, really? 
Yes, his name came up. During... I did not know that one. Yes, there was a male wrestler accused him of some terrible things that went on uh, that mainly involved Jim's wife, Jim and Jim's wife. But you're just going to have to read about that. I don't want to. Again, I have to tread very lightly because I no, don't know. Yeah. Matt Riddle, I think, was the name that came up that, who had just competed on SmackDown making his debut. Uh, uh, David Lagana, like you said, Jim Cornette. There's just been hundreds of allegations that have been made. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's insane. And so there is two sides to every story. Uh, there is also, there's also, like you said, no spot whatsoever there's no spot at all something does need to be done about it and it's good that it's coming to light but like i said at the same time there's two sides to every story so you can't i I don't know i'm not defending whatsoever uh i just i'm a proud american who still to this day believes you're innocent until proven guilty and there was quite a few from what i read that they were dead to rights, proven guilty. But then there are some that I'm sure have um, have a vi- a viable have a viable argument in defending themselves, unlike others. So who knows? Um, like I said, we're not going to speculate. We're not going to get into to to any details of one specific person or anything like that because it's just it's way too much and it's just it's really it's a very sad situation and it's still all the way around it's still evolving there's still a lot to be worked out here but i will say matt riddle put out his attorney put out a statement saying that the person that accused him he accused them in through his attorney of stalking or cyber stalking so there's been some back and forth there that that happened. I mean, I'm only going to comment on stuff that I saw that was actually either put out by companies or put out by attorneys and stuff like that. But uh, I would advise you, if you want to learn more about the allegations, you can go to your favorite wrestling news site, people that do this for a living. This is obviously a hobby that Patrick and I do this podcast, but uh, go to John Pollock, uh, go to Post Wrestling, go to Dave Meltzer, people that our wrestling journalist David David Bixenspan if you want the most up to date information and the complete list probably these guys have compiled this is what they do for a living so that's what i would go yeah. to usually when we cover news we're covering news that um well number 1 we don't cover that kind of volume of news this is a podcast about old wrestling pay-per-views mainly so uh you know we cover we do like 45 minutes they do like their entire show is news so um that's what i would encourage you to do if you want to learn more about it or just type in your favorite wrestling person's name into twitter and see what comes up because (laughs) that might help too uh including Sammy Guevara, who we just talked about before we went on air today, got suspended by AEW, and not for anything... uh, He didn't do anything physical to anybody, but he said on a podcast when he was 22, so not too long ago, that he wanted to, quote, rape Sasha Banks. So he got suspended for that, and they are donating his salary to a a woman's service, like a protection service, like charity, so... But he'll be back. Uh, I think he 
just made a mistake. He had a Sasha Banks even put out a statement saying she had a conversation with him and stuff. So I think that's redeemable. I think people can make mistakes like that, especially when they're 22. When you're 22, you're a moron. So, um, and then, yeah, yeah, uh, I got into it for a second while we were talking about the hashtag speaking out movement. And that is that Bruce Pritchard has overtaken Paul Heyman's role as the executive director of Raw. So now Bruce is running both Raw and SmackDown. And this is in response to the ratings. Apparently Vince still not happy with the ratings. That SmackDown is doing better. But if that's his logic, it's not good logic because SmackDown is in way more homes than Raw because it's on Fox. You can get Fox for free in any house with an antenna. And USA is a pay service, so to say that it's... And it's only doing better by a few hundred thousand people. It's not like SmackDown's doing 5 million people and Raw's doing 1.8. It's like Raw's doing 1.8 and SmackDown's doing 2.1. So you're talking about the difference of 300,000 people. So now Pritchard is running both shows, and that is a scary thought to me. But ultimately, the guy that runs the show is Vince McMahon. So, as we all know, so we'll see. We'll see what happens going forward with Raw and SmackDown. But that is that's what's happened in the executive director front, which started out with Bischoff and Paul Heyman, and now neither are in their positions. Not even a year into this experiment, so uh, experiment failed, I would say, as far as that is concerned. As most have been lately. Yes. Most everything, uh, not just in wrestling, but in life, has been a big failure lately. So, uh, no surprise that this eventually came to an end. And it it was really strange, though, as they point out, like, that, oh, Paul's going to focus on being an in-ring, on-air character. Well, when Brock's not around, and he's not around right now during this pandemic, there's nothing for Paul Heyman to do, unless they give him another guy, which it doesn't seem like he's interested in, so not going to see a lot of Paul Heyman in 2020, I'm afraid. Since mainly all the wrestling news was focused on hashtag speaking out, we are going to go ahead and go into our review for this week, which was your pick, which was WWF In Your House 6, which was titled later on, not heading into the event, titled Rage in the Cage, which is one of the most overused titles in history uh the mma promotions use it Uh, still a great name still a great title not a great title in 2020 when it's been used so much but this was the pay-per-view heading into wrestlemania 12 this is the sixth in your house obviously it's in your house six when wwf at the time had decided you know what we can do more than five pay-per-views a year And we're really struggling, so we're going to do these in-your-house shows. They're going to be cheaper. They're going to be like 20 bucks, and they're only going to be two hours. We're going to run them in smaller cities, so they're basically house shows with cameras. And so we're going to do better better draws in small markets. And, you know, when we bring the TV cameras, we're going to do better than a house show would do. And we're going to make some money from the pay-per-view buys. This is when business was way down. Uh, for both companies. Uh, WCW at the time was just coming off of Super Brawl 6, which was Giant and Hogan in the cage. And 
that was a decent show, but it only it only drew seventy two hundred fans, and that was a big WCW production. So, really, a good idea to go ahead and jump into this. This pay per view drew fifty five hundred fans to Louisville, Kentucky, home of the baseball bats and Muhammad Ali, and the world's biggest baseball bat. There's a giant baseball bat there, the world's biggest one. Giant Louisville Slugger. That's right. Now, the storylines going into this pay-per-view, at the 96 Survivor Series, Bret Hart beat Diesel for the belt. So Diesel's got some unfinished business here. He wants his belt back. Shawn Michaels coming off a real-life beatdown by some Marines who Shawn had spouted off to and was probably under the influence of several painkillers and alcohol and got his ass kicked by these sailors or marines or whatever they were and uh, I heard they were cheerleaders they were what I heard they were cheerleaders oh cheerleaders so yeah they it was the spirit squad that beat him down I heard and, it was I heard it was male cheerleaders that's what I heard I don't I whatever whoever ended up kicking his ass and uh, giving him a concussion and he teased retiring, not the first time Sean would lose his smile. Uh, actually, the first time he would lose his smile uh, of many. So to cover for that, they decided to work in an angle where Owen Hart hit an enziguri and caused the concussion. So they spun off Sean's real-life injury into a storyline with Owen Hart. And so Owen Hart's manager, Jim Cornette at the time, he was part of Camp Cornette here in '96 got Sean to put his number one contendership up in a match tonight. And, since the title's on the line, you could have a completely different main event for WrestleMania 12. Can you imagine, Patrick? Kevin Nash, Iron Man match. <laughs> Can you imagine Kevin Nash going 60 minutes with Owen Hart or whoever? <laughs> or Shawn Michaels? That would be rough. You well, especially considering their disaster of a WrestleMania 11 match, uh, this is certainly. I am. I bet a lot of wrestling fans were worried that they might go to that well and do a rematch with Diesel and Shawn. Though it'd be very strange to switch your main event at an in your house, as pretty much nothing of storyline value happens at in your house, like. The one I went to a year later in Chattanooga, the only reason there was a title change was because Shawn Michaels vacated. He lost his smile a year later. Every February, this man wants to retire. And uh, so the one that I went to in Chattanooga in 97, the only reason there was a title on the line and a title change was because Shawn was injured. And then they just flipped the title the next night on Raw anyway. So nothing really of value ever happened at these in your house shows um storyline wise there's no memorable title wins there's no reigns i mean these just exist to exist there's been some good matches but not a lot of title change not a lot of implications storyline wise so these are just these are exactly what they're billed as uh, a, a very nice house show basically it's February 18th, 1996. We start with a warning from Tammy Lynn Sitch, better known as Sonny, about viewer discretion, which I don't know why viewer discretion was advised. Nothing on this show happened that was edgy at all, but 
This was probably the most edgiest thing that happened was Sonny on a beach warning us about it. Then we get those classic in-your-house introductions. What emotions race through the mind of a champion? What races through the mind of a former champion? What anger dwells in the soul of a man who was denied the shot at the title? Well, you see, Undertaker was screwed out of the title by Diesel. They've been slow. Diesel was on the slowest heel turn in history here, as he cost Undertaker the belt at Rumble, I believe it was, when he attacked Earl Hebner. But then Diesel didn't really fully turn heel ever, and and then he was out of the company, and that was it. I mean, tonight he got cheered, and he didn't act very heelish, really. In fact, Undertaker. I would say was the heel tonight against Diesel when they had their encounter. There are three men bound by their desire for the WWF Championship, even though Undertaker not in this match, or not supposed to be in this match. We'll see what happens with that. Vince McMahon welcomes us to Louisville. He's joined by Jerry Lawler, so it's a two-man booth. This is one of those times where I think Jim Ross was fired. I'm not sure. I don't remember but was he, he was not a part of this. One or the other. Uh, I would probably bet fired because uh, every three months or so they fired Jim Ross and then would bring him back. <laughs> well, we missed a dark match that took place with your man Jake Roberts, who was they had brought back for his big King of the Ring run. We all know how that ended, huh? Jake defeated Tatanka who was still in the company and was still evil, being managed by Ted DiBiase. Jake Roberts defeated him in 5 minutes and 36 seconds. That was the dark match that we missed. Well, the free-for-all match. So technically, it does exist somewhere, but we're not... They don't post those on the network for some reason. I wish the, I wish the free-for-all in Shotgun Saturday Night would be put on the vault section. Yeah, and I was complaining when I did the Retro Wrestling Podcast Extra last week about Ron Simmons' title win. I was complaining because WCW main event isn't on the network. And that's fine for most of the times, but it was usually the pre-show to the pay-per-view because it was usually on Sundays. But also, it was what they aired Ron Simmons' title win on. So if you go to the network and you want to see Ron Simmons' title win, you can't find it in its entirety. Yeah, you can't find wow. it. it. Like, you can... I think there's a version on the website that I couldn't get to play, but there's not one on the network, so I had to watch it on YouTube. Especially in light of recent world events that they would want that match on the network. But... Exactly. Not. Razor Ramon jerking the curtain here tonight. Man... Well, you see, the bad guy was in a bad mood because WWF would not give him a bigger contract. And this would cost him his spot at WrestleMania 12. And he would be basically, after this match tonight, basically losing on his way out uh, until he got to WCW. And then when he got to WCW, they took part of his merch sales away from his Razor Ramon gear. Hell, they took Razor Ramon away from him and gave it to another guy. So, Rick Bogner. So, Razor Ramon jerking the curtain here tonight where he's in a crybaby match. Have you ever heard of a crybaby match? Crybaby match. Yeah, not me. I have. This was the first time I'd ever seen this match or heard of it. And... How embarrassing. The bad guy, Razor Ramon, is in a match involving a diaper and a giant baby bottle where the loser will get diapered. At least 
At least the loser gets diapered over his tights. At least he doesn't get panted and then diapered uh, in front of the crowd. Now, that would be something that Sonny should warn us about. (laughs) You see, the bad guy is actually a good guy. He's face Razor Ramon, which was never as good as heel Scott Hall. But he hadn't been a face for very long because his face turn really happened when he took on the one two three kid who is now evil so he's been turned on by his friend the one two three kid the one two three kid is being managed by ted dibiase so we have the future nwo members here all together the click tonight the click is running wild the the kid joined up with the million dollar corporation he took the money that's what they all ended up doing around this time. Always take the money. When they get in the ring, man, Razor Ramon is a full head taller than Sean Waltman. I mean, Scott Hall is a giant man. I think people don't realize how tall he is. That He's actually taller than Hulk Hogan. And he's like 6'7". And he's only... I only think of him as short because I always see him next to Kevin Nash. So he has... His one friend is happens to be taller than him. So in his in his elder age, he has gotten he has shrunk a little bit to where he's now my my height that six three six four. So that should give you an idea because uh, they say when you get older, you lose like four or five inches. Okay, that should give you an idea of here in his prime, just how massive this man truly is. Well, and also, he's hobbled by injuries and drug abuse, so and the man slumps a little. Kid throws a stuffed animal. He came out with a stroller and a stuffed animal, a teddy bear, uh, which is... You're already called the kid. Why do you have to have toys? I don't... This sucks. If I would, Sean Waltman was a very good sport about this, because... There's no way that guys like Shawn Michaels or Razor Ramon or uh, Kevin Nash or Bret Hart was going to let somebody do what ended up happening to Shawn Waltman here tonight. Uh, So Razor throws the toothpick at Shawn Waltman and Shawn throws the stuffed animal at Razor Ramon. And then Razor tees off on him, clotheslines him out of the ring, uh, the kid springboards back in, clotheslines Razor. Waltman does his karate kick stuff that I hate. It takes Razor down. Lawler goes through his ugly baby joke book because Mrs. Mrs. Razor Ramon gave birth to a terribly ugly baby. Just ask Jerry Lawler. Um, All that greasy hair. Yeah, uh, Chico. Yeah. Razor catches a crossbody attempt by Waltman and does the fallaway slam. Goes for the Razor's edge, but Waltman escapes only to get clotheslined over the ropes. One, two, three, kid gets some baby powder from DiBiase in plain view of Tim White, and Tim White watches the one, two, three, kid throw it in Scott Hall's face. Shame on you, Tim White. Referee Patrick Young would be DQing him immediately. Uh, the one, two, three, kid hits a missile drop kick for a two count. The kid hits a couple leg drops and a standing drop kick before he hits a top rope splash to Razor for another near fall. Kid slaps on a sleeper hold that lasts forever. Razor hulks up, crotches him on the ropes. Kid hits a flying body press from the top rope for another near fall. A heel kick from uh, Sean Waltman for another two count. Razor does a fallaway slam from the second rope. Calls for the Razor's edge. Kid tries to throw powder in Razor's face again, but Razor kicks it into his face. Razor's edge. One, two, 
Razor stops the count at two. And his good friend, Sean Waltman, he's going to completely bury this guy and hit him with a second Razor's Edge. His very good click mate. He hits him with a second Razor's Edge. One, two, three. He wins the match. And I feel like Scott Hall wanted to go to the locker room at this point. But Tim White then brings him the giant baby bottle and a diaper. And Razor grabs the baby powder, too. And amazingly, Razor Ramon, very good at diapering a grown man and it's good that they gave him a diaper with velcro and stuff on it but uh also i imagine sean waltman probably farted in his face when he was doing this so uh razor uh did not like that too well and he dropped all the baby powder on sean waltman making the one two three kid look completely foolish even more foolish than usual and uh so diapered one two three kid is covered in baby powder and then when Razor leaves, he stomps around the ring like a baby, and then he realizes his diaper is on when DiBiase points it out, and he rips it off, screams at the camera, and then sm- tries to smash the stroller. He doesn't smash the stroller because it's a legit stroller, so he just throws it. And that is our opening match, a um, crybaby match. The one, two, three kid is a crybaby. It's official. Actually, out of all the click people, I, I think I like Sean Waltman and Kevin Nash outside of the ring probably the most at this point because they they were all well. I guess Hunter. I, I guess you could have to say Hunter because Hunter was never really into drugs and doing weird stuff. But uh, outside of Hunter, outside of the rest of the click who were all just degenerates as they would later be referred to as also. Uh, I like Sean Waltman in 2020 because he's honest, he's candid, he's uh, he's got a great podcast, by the way, and he just calls things like he sees it. He's he's very honest and open, and but his in-ring, uh, he's a good worker, but I hate his karate shit. I've talked about that before. I... I the X-Pot character was the worst version of Sean Waltman and was kept way too long. I mean, DX was disbanded in, like, 2000, and this guy's still on the roster in, like, 2003 in his X-Pot gear. So, you messing with the X-Factor, yo. Uh, this was a fine opening match. The crowd really got into the diapering at the end. So, uh, outside of that, nothing really special here. I had zero zero confidence that Sean Waltman was going to win this match, so it was kind of anticlimactic. And uh, also, man, the Razor's Edge is an awesome move, and I don't understand why they didn't pair Razor Ramon with smaller guys more often, just to hit that finish. And good guy Razor Ramon is just boring, though. There's There's nothing to him. There's no edge to his Razor's Edge, basically. No, I think it was a uh, it was a good opener. I uh, I enjoyed it for what it was, but uh, you you could tell that Razor was mentally just ready to get get on get on the road and, and head south, or at least that's the notion I got from watching. Yeah, I wonder if he had known at this point that he was going to be pulled from WrestleMania, so he probably wasn't too thrilled about that. Uh, Ray Rougeau and Sonny are backstage for the Superstar Hotline plug. Sonny offers to 
basically sleep with Razor Ramon later. She's like, what, what hotel's he staying at? So, in addition to winning the match, he wins the night with Sonny. So, congrats to Razor Ramon. Ray Rougeau's gonna ask the kid about diaper rash, which he can't have because the diaper went over his tights. But, okay. Yes, Vince, we are here. Well, my goodness, <laughs> all right. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, Sonny, what are you going to ask the bad guy when he joins you in the superstar line? Well, since he was the winner, maybe I'll say, hey, Chico, what you doing later, baby? Uh-huh. And, Ray, what are you going to ask the kid? Well, I'm going to ask if that powdering took care of his diaper rash. Uh-huh. <laughs> Real funny. Right. Earlier on, we had an occasion to uh, to uh, take a look at some of the action, as well as Jake the Snake Roberts, who joined oh. you. Let's go back and, no. and yeah, let's show this. Oh, that, no, please, like please don't. Uh, uh, this is what happened after Jake's match, and take a look. Oh, baby! Hey, Jake! Jake on option eight right now. Ray, what about Let's Well, you know, live. you can hear this exclusive interview with Jake the Snake oh Roberts God. right here on the Superstar Line. Oh, it was horrible. Oh, I thought it was great. It was horrible. Back to you, Vince. Okay. All right, thank you very much. You know, Sonny, Sonny told me what? her favorite band used to be White Snake, but I bet it's not anymore. Uh, on the free-for-all, Jake brought his boa constrictor, his giant one, to Sonny. And scared her. And you can hear it all for 149 a minute at 1-900-737-4WWF. <laughs> Kids, get your parents' permission before calling. Uh, Is it better than the 1-900-999-900? That's the... That's no, because it's hard to remember. That one was easy to remember. They they were smart. Mean Gene made a lot more money, I bet, than the WWF did on their hotline. You know, it's been over 20 years, and I still remember that number. That's how bad that I... I mean, he just drilled that in people. No, I imagine anybody that watched WCW knows that number. Because, yeah, he, he had at least... On Nitro, at least two or three plugs of Nitro. He plugged it on the pay-per-views. I mean, he plugged it. He would be about to do an interview and mention that number. like, And, and, and it was because he had incentive to because they were giving him such a large cut of it. So good for him. Like, smart. He he was a very smart businessman, yeah. uh, Mean Gene. So, uh, he was. Kudos to him, and kudos for them for making that a good, memorable phone number. One of the few things WCW did better than WWF, hotline number. Uh, So a very small victory for World Championship Wrestling. Um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, uh, the fresh out of WCW, basically, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, is out with Elizabeth Hilton as his valet, and it seemed like this night was a job interview for her and they re- because uh they seem more focused on talking to her than focusing on the match because they would go split screen with jerry and this valet and he would try to get the valet to answer questions and she just had nothing and uh so she failed her job interview to be hunter's permanent valet uh pretty terribly here this is a historic match for me patrick because i had never seen a Duke the Dumpster Drozzy singles match ever. Uh, the only time oh. I, this was very special for me. Uh, the only time I had seen him was in the gimmick battle royal at X Seven. That was the only other time that I had seen him because I had seen like his his little videos where he's taking out the garbage or whatever. But I had never seen him wrestle, and so this was this was a very 
emotional moment for me. So thank you for that. He was uh, he was in WrestleMania or not WrestleMania. He's in Royal Rumble '95 as well. Oh, okay. Just, is he in the Rumble part, or does he have a singles he's, match? He's in, he's in the Rumble. Oh, okay. Well, see, that wouldn't count as a singles. I've never seen a singles match of him until now. So, uh, this is this is groundbreaking. And what a terrible gimmick for him. I feel so sorry for this guy. And he's got terrible ring gear, too, because even when he takes off his dumpster stuff, he's still got, you know, a sleeveless white shirt underneath. And it says Duke on the front. He has his name written on the front of his shirt, so you know who he is. In just plain type. In just like, I got this from the dumpster, I think. Hunter committed the ultimate sin. He cut off the dumpster's hair on Raw, which actually helped Duke a lot because he looked way better with short hair. (laughs) So, good for him. They just brawl to start the match. Hunter does the flare flip, walks into a slam from the dumpster. The dumpster hit Hunter with his back supporter thing. What are those things called? Do you know what those things are called? That, like, people that work in the garbage industry, like back supporter things? What are those? It's just like a back brace. Oh, it's a back brace. Yeah, so... It's a back brace. Not a good look when you're wearing a back brace for your gimmick. Not when you have, like, a kayfabe injury. Like, uh, I'm wearing a back brace because i got to take the garbage out later. Uh, so, he whipped Hunter with this back brace and didn't get DQ'd. So, another fail on the refs tonight. Dumpster does some corner punches, but Hunter drops him on the buckle. They go split screen for Lawler to interview Hunter's valet. She has nothing to say. She doesn't know anything about what's going on. Hunter goes for the pedigree, but Dumpster hits an inverted atomic drop to escape. Dumpster tries a running clothesline, but gets back body dropped out of the ring. These two wrestlers fought in the first ever free-for-all, so a historic footnote here pointed out by Vince McMahon. Hunter hits a snap suplex and gets a near fall as they go split screen again with this valet and Lawler, and Lawler doesn't even bother asking her anything, so I have no idea why they did this. Duke hits a spine buster, not exactly Arn Anderson style. He can't capitalize, though, I guess because he's got a bad back from lifting garbage cans all day. Scoop slam to Hunter, and Duke says it's time to take out the trash. So he throws Hunter into the ropes, hits the trash compactor, which is like sort of like a boss man slam sort of thing. And then, instead of going for the win... This is why he's a garbage man, Patrick, because he doesn't know how to win a wrestling match. Instead of just covering Hunter and winning the match, this moron goes for his garbage can. He throws it into the ring, which the lid hits Hunter when he throws it into the ring, which should have gotten him DQ'd. Uh, But anyway, so he throws the lid in, he comes in with the rest of the can, and this allows Hunter to just take the lid and smash him across the head uh, while the ref got rid of the garbage can. And then Hunter pins him. So there you go. Congratulations, Duke. You totally... this He might look worse than 123Kid did earlier here. And that takes some talent, because this guy's a moron. Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. This was Hunter's this big was, warm-up match for the Ultimate Warrior next month at WrestleMania. So. This was uh, this was just a time filler. Right? That's really all it was. Yeah, it was, it was a, a chance to see this valet and try to see if she's going to be the permanent fixture for Hunter, but... The answer was no. Todd Pattengill, who they brought back for NXT In Your House. He did some uh, stuff for In Your House, some pre-taped stuff. Uh, So 
Welcome back, Toddster. Todd welcomes us to the WWF store. Just dial 1-800-TITAN-91 and get your Undertaker sweatshirt. One size fits all somehow. I don't know how this works, but it's twenty nine ninety five plus shipping and handling. You can get Sean, Brett, or Diesel, too. It's Todd Pettengill here, and you know what? The doors of the World Wrestling Federation store are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. All you have to do is dial 1-800-TITAN-91 at your convenience. The featured item this week, no, it's not Wendy, it's the Undertaker sweatshirt. And it's available for adults in one size fits all. It's about the size of an extra large, and it's only $29.95. No, I'm not kidding, $29.95. You can also get them in Shawn Michaels versions, Brett the Hitman Hart, and of course, Big Daddy Cool Diesel. Once again, only $29.95. And you know what? You asked for it, and now we've got it. Youth size sweatshirts, the same four superstars, and only $19.95. We've got youth small, youth medium, and youth large. And don't forget, you can stop by the store any time of the day, whenever, of course, it's convenient for you. All you have to do is call 1-800-TITAN-91. Or you can get a youth size for $19.95, but you can get those in youth large, medium, or small. But if you're an adult... Good luck getting this thing to fit. Even the lady wearing it, her name was Wendy, apparently. She's wearing the Undertaker sweatshirt. This thing could be a dress on this little woman. So I guess they were showing, see, it really can fit on everybody. But I guarantee you, if you or I ordered that shirt, it would be way too small. I, I just have a feeling. And then we'd be out $40. Absolutely. Camp Cornette is dysfunctional because Bulldog and Yokozuna had some miscommunication and Yokozuna ditched Cornette and turned face and beat up Jim Cornette. So Doc Hendricks is backstage with a first, where Yokozuna gets to give his first ever interview by himself. And he screams like he's saying Banzai, but he still gives a good promo. You know, we always say here in the World Wrestling Federation that anything can happen. Well, that statement could never be truer than right now. For almost three years, James E. Cornette forbid Yokozuna to speak for himself. Well, right here and right now for the first time ever, the 650-pound mammoth Yokozuna has something to say. Jim Cornette, for nearly three years, I stood in the shadows while you hot-dogged that spotlight. Well, it's my turn! Because I gave you the gold, and yet you get all the credit and all the money. And as far as you owe it on, the only gold you wore is when you hid behind me. Me! And British Bulldog, brother, you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Because this 650 pounds of bad attitude is going to burn. Get Cornette down to the ground. And he ends with saying he's going to burn Jim Cornette down to the ground. Bonsai. He's going to take on Bulldog here in a singles match. It's a classic. Can't get the big man off his feet at first, as Yoko usually did. Bulldog finally does it with a flying clothesline. Bulldog... His pants, Bulldog's pants, suck. They look, they're vertical stripes. They they sucked. He needed new pants here. Yoko recovers and takes Bulldog down to the mat with a clothesline. He goes for the bonsai drop, and Cornette rolls Bulldog out of the way. 
Zuna goes after him but runs into the post. Bulldog drops a forearm on Zuna from the top rope, but the second attempt ends with him getting chopped by Zuna. Zuna then no-sells some clotheslines. Samoan drops Bulldog. Big belly to belly. Cornet runs in. Racket shots Zuna. No bell called for that one. That's fine. Zuna no-sells the racket shot. But then what this was all about was to get Vader to run down and make the save for Jim Cornette. They handcuffed Zuna, and Vader and Bulldog just put the boots to him. And this beatdown, I swear, Patrick, took ten minutes to beat down Yokozuna, who could not get out of these handcuffs. And, and no other face in the back, by the way, was willing to come save Yokozuna. So, hyping you up for a match that wouldn't happen at WrestleMania between Vader and Yokozuna. I would like to have seen that match, believe it or not. Yeah, in the state that Yokozuna was in, though, I mentioned it to you before we started recording. Even though... We've seen WrestleMania 12. We've reviewed reviewed it for this podcast. Uh, and Yokozuna looked terrible there. It's like every time I see him, even when you go backwards, he looks worse and worse. And he was at his absolute... He, I, he wasn't at his absolute worst. You can watch Heroes of Wrestling from 99, I think, and you see him at his worst. But this is bad. And they obviously got that sense, too, because... They changed this into a multi-man tag match. This is like Andre towards the end of his career when Vince wouldn't let him do singles matches anymore. So that's what happened here. We go backstage to the America Online booth where Marlena and Goldust are sitting behind a, a guy on the computer and, whis- and Goldust is whispering into his ear. And I can't make out what he says for the most part because he's not mic'd. Uh, but he does say on Raw, he and Razor are going to do some cheek-to-cheek or something like that, where, uh, yeah, Goldust was really into Razor Ramon. And uh, that match wouldn't happen at WrestleMania 12. It would be Piper instead of Razor Ramon. So, And Piper instead of... And Goldust instead of Mike Tyson. So they had a, a lot of reworking to do for WrestleMania 12. So the WrestleMania 12 title shot is up next. As the number one contendership is on the line, if Owen can beat Shawn Michaels, you see, Jim Cornette got Shawn to put the title shot on the line on Raw, and the King of Hearts, Owen Hart, is out first, and, and Vince and Jerry, neither of them mention at all his feud with Bret Hart and how this could be the ultimate payoff if he wins this and goes to WrestleMania for a title shot, like the culmination of two years worth of stuff could have happened, but wasn't mentioned at all. Todd is backstage with Shawn Michaels in his bejeweled hat and uh, he's got red and black earrings and vest and his chaps. This is classic 96 Shawn Michaels here. And he comes out and has a memorable In Your House entrance as he comes out on the top of the roof of the In Your House house and he does a sexy boy dance which tells me that Shawn was very, very high and uh, I just... He, he had that look in his eye, that glazed-over look. And also, Shawn Michaels, not really a good dancer. But he was actually a good dancer here and uh, did a stripper sexy boy dance on the top of the house and then swings off of it. It was like a Chippendale dancer had invaded the arena. Shawn then runs to the ring, tosses Owen out of it while he gets all his shit taken off. So he throws Owen out while he's got his vest and his chaps and his hat and his earrings on. And so while he's taking it all off, he keeps dancing, removes his accessories, and still gets his full entrance. He get he does it so long, his song loops. This is this is 
vintage Shawn Michaels, Hulk Hogan, totally spotlight stealing asshole stuff here. Um, and after this entrance, I think there was no doubt who was going to win this match. I mean, geez, Louise. And the crowd loved it, so yeah, I can't hate on it. He got the biggest reaction of the night by far, uh, Shawn Michaels. So the crowd really loved this guy, even though I... Even though he was pretty much still a bad guy, too. They had done a bad job turning him face and turning Diesel heel. So, uh, whatever. He poses and the crowd loves it. So, uh, it's all good. They shove each other to start the match and Sean bails to the outside to go high-five his click, which is what they called the fans, not the actual click. So, Sean Waltman wasn't ringside. It would be great if, if, if Waltman and Nash and... Hall, we're all just ringside, and Hunter <laughs> just high-fiving him. Owen Baseball slides out of the ring and pretends to high-five the fans, but doesn't, so he's definitely a bad guy here. Sean hits a super high crossbody from the top turnbuckle. He got major air on this one. Out to Owen on the floor. Sean hits a hurricane Rana to Owen when they get in the ring. Owen responds with a belly-to-belly toss. Owen stomps at Sean, hits a neckbreaker for a two-count. Owen goes for the sharpshooter, but Sean kicks him away. Owen puts a camel clutch on Shawn Michaels. Shawn hulks up but gets stopped by a knee from Owen. Owen works a chin lock, then hits a heel kick that sends Shawn to the outside. Shawn is supposed to have an injured head but never sells it in this match, so thanks a lot, Shawn. Owen gets suplexed to the outside but lands on his feet, catches Shawn's crossbody attempt, and hits a power slam to Shawn on the match, which was a beautiful sequence. Uh, another beautiful missile drop kick from Owen gets a near fall who thought it was a three and threw up his arms in celebration but it was only two flare flip from Michaels and Owen runs into him with a clothesline sharpshooter on Sean Sean gets to the ropes in Siguri and Sean super sells this not by selling his head but by flopping to the outside I mean this in Siguri was done on the right side of the ring and he flops all the way to the left and out of the ring the ref gets in the ring starts a count gets to five and then Owen I guess he took lessons from Duke the Dumpster Drozzy doesn't just take a count out win to go to Wrestlemania Goes outside to get Sean and roll him into the ring for a cover that only gets a two count. So Owen cost himself the WrestleMania 12 main event against his brother. Let's go Sean chance as Sean fires up on Owen with his leaping clotheslines. Sean hits his signature elbow drop. Sweet chin music misses. Insiguri misses. But then Sean connects with the sweet chin music and Sean is going to WrestleMania. His boyhood dream is still intact. He's going to WrestleMania. A small child, a girl, gets in the ring to dance with Sean, who then kisses her on the cheek, at least. Uh, I think she wanted a kiss on the lips the second time, and Sean was like, no, no, turn your head, stupid. Uh, so then he gets pyro and poses with the kid on his shoulder, so he's a super baby face, even though he's really not. And Sean goes and high-fives everyone, including Vince, who's the ultimate member of the clique here. He loves the clique. Until, well, Razor and Diesel fuck him over. But he high-fives Sean and gets a sign. Sean grabs a sign from a fan that says, Sean's click is here, and leaves. So there you go. This was match of the night by far. Um, two very good performers. But it was still Sean and not in fourth gear, basically. He was still... He was holding a little bit back. He still did awesome 96 Shawn Michaels stuff like Hurricane Rana and the big leap to the outside. and But he's definitely had better matches. Owen did a good job 
wrestling like a heel, you know, chin locks, a lot of rest holds, a lot of near falls that you knew weren't going to work, and did a good job, but I, I wish there was more heat behind this match, more storyline. Where was Cornette to, to help Owen? I don't know. Where was Bulldog? Where was, you know, anybody? Where was Vader? Bring him out to try to help. I guess you don't want to make them all look like fools because those are Sean's opponents for the next several months. So, uh, <laughs> so he's, about to, he's about to work with them for for the next six months. Easy. Yeah, so, so can't make them look like fools, I guess. But what do you think of this match? I, I was just, it was a very entertaining match. I enjoyed it tremendously. We get the promo for WrestleMania 12 that plays March 31st, only on pay-per-view back in 1996. Lawler refuses to praise Sean for winning. It's time for the cage match next. The old cage that they have to build by hand, so it's time to fill some time. And Todd brings out acting president Rowdy Roddy Piper. Piper says Sean better come to fight at WrestleMania because he's not going to stop the match till there's a winner. Which, actually, it was Gorilla Monsoon who made that call as Piper had uh, had a backlot brawl that night and wasn't involved in the main event at all. He tells Yokozuna he doesn't feel sorry for him for getting his ass kicked. Hey, you, you had it coming, buddy. He calls Vader inbred and that he wears a jock strap on its face, so way to get over your next big heel here. He makes a match between Vader and Zuna for WrestleMania that gets scrapped, so ignore that ever happened. Cornette and Clarence Mason then come out, and Piper cuts them off before they can speak. Cornette finally gets a word in about Vader and says Vader is going to take Yokozuna down, and it's all on Rowdy Roddy Piper. If Vader loses, well, guess what, Cornette? You might get a cheek full of Yokozuna. I appreciate it, but I have some very important stuff I want to tell you. I want, I want you to listen up here. I take my job as a WWF president extremely seriously. I can't be bought. I don't pull no punches. I don't think Michael Jackson's innocent. And I ain't afraid of no damn booger man. Now, first of all, first thing I want to come to, as an, it's an official statement. It has to be an official statement. WrestleMania, Anaheim. Kind of proud to announce this. The number one contender for the WWF Championship, Shawn Michaels. I want to tell you something. Shawn, I've watched you for a long time. I've watched you work your heart out for an opportunity like this. But you better pull up your socks and you better sleep on that mat, and you better every day do everything you can, because you're either going to face Bret Hart or you're going to face Diesel, and neither one are going to be a cakewalk. So when you get there, you come to fight, because I ain't stopping it till there's a winner. That's the first thing. That's enough, isn't it? Number two, Yoko Zuna. I don't feel a bit sorry for you having been handcuffed up there and all these people around you beating on you. Not a bit. And I'll tell you why. You're 640 pounds of beast. Nasty beast, I'll say that too. (laughs) And you're up there 
As strong as you can be, if you're gonna be that dumb, we gotta do a little work up here, huh? Now, Vader, I don't know what your major malfunction is, but I come here to cure it, okay? Number, he comes from the Rocky Mountains, obviously inbred, okay? Somebody ought to tell Vader that that thing he wears on his face should tell him that that's not where your jock strap goes. There's oh. only one. Roddy Piper, however, there's only one. However, in the case of Vader, maybe that's where it belongs, because he's nuts. But you 520 pounds, big tough bully, right? You see, I wouldn't suspend you. I'm not that stupid of a president. That was the board of directors. No, 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 no. I'm gonna keep you around, Vader. You think you're a big, tough guy, 520 pounds, a little bit, you know, they kind of shaves his head like Mr. T. Have you noticed that? I'm not sure. With Jim Cornette, you got 600 pounds of Yokozuna, WrestleMania 12, Anaheim, I say this. I don't care what happens, if you got handcuffs, if you bring in underwear, I could care less. I say Yokozuna against Vader, one-on-one, -on -one, WrestleMania, let him go, let the blood flow. That's what I say. Well, uh, here's Unbelievable. only one. Oh, wait a minute. Roddy, Roddy, Piper. Yeah, and he's, uh, a, he's a loose cannon, McMahon. Let me tell hey, wait you one thing right now. Shut up! Whoa. Whoa. Clarence Mason. You'll get sued. When you come up here with me, mister, first thing you do is have a lot of respect. Now, I ain't finished. You, tell me something. When you were a little kid, is that a tennis racket or a banjo? Does da-dun-dun-dun mean anything to you, huh? Did you used to sit on a porch and play the banjo? Is that how you got Vader, huh? Let me explain something to you, hot rod. You can come out here and make all the statements you want that they got a time with a calendar instead of a stopwatch, and you're a real funny guy. But I remember Hot Rod used to come out with a shirt on him and said, no fear. And I remember Hot Rod used to come out and say he wasn't scared of nothing that ever happened to him because he'd been through it all. You, you were on the streets when you were a kid, and nobody could scare you. You betcha. But there was one man that did. He scared you, and he scared the World Wrestling Federation, and he scared everybody out there, and he scared every wrestler that stepped in that ring, and that was Vader. Wait, wait. So what did Vader do? He scared everybody. So what did the WWF do? You tried to banish him. You tried to exile him, send him away. He's too hot. We can't touch him. He was hot Vader, not hot Rod. But thanks to this man, Vader is back. So now you're sending a 640-pound man. And you think that he's going to take Vader out? Well, I got news for you. WrestleMania 12, Anaheim, California. What's going to happen to Yokozuna and the rest of the World Wrestling Federation? Whoa, whoa. It's on your head, Hot Rod. Have you ever thought of something, anything? However, think about this for a second. You had Yokozuna. You're one a great manager. You had him, correct? That's right. Now you have Vader, correct? That's right. Yokozuna is 640 pounds. To me, that's about 320 pounds per cheek. Do you know what? In WrestleMania 12 at Anaheim, 
If Vader loses, you might find yourself cheek to cheek with Yokozuna. Are you gonna let well, there's only uh, one hot rod. Bottom line is, buddy, you're going to be out of a job, and at WrestleMania, we're going to see people that are going to fight. So they've built the cage, so time for the main event. Diesel is out first for this cage match. He gets pyro, so if you're trying to make him a heel, a heel shouldn't have a ton of pyro, but whatever. So does Brett. He had a ton of pyro. And the crowd is sort of quiet for both of these guys compared to the reaction Sean had. Diesel is still a face, apparently, because Lawler doesn't like him. But he does like him in this match since he's facing Brett, so he'll pick him as the de facto heel. Nash does his corner knee lifts to Brett, so he's already almost out of moves right away. He chokes Brett with his boot, so two out of five moves are down. They battle at the top of the turnbuckle. Diesel rams Brett into the cage. Diesel asks for the door to open, and he strolls to the door. Brett stops him by crotching him on the ropes, punching him away from the door. Brett tries to escape and gets a hand on the on the door before Diesel grabs him and tries to crawl through the door as well. Diesel then hits Brett with a sidewalk slam. Brett decides to climb over the top instead of going for the door, which makes no sense. But Diesel goes for the door, so Brett has to stop, hop down, and go grab Diesel's long legs. Vince says, I'm sure Sean is watching this match. Highly doubtful. Sean was probably snorting something. Brett goes over the cage, but Diesel grabs him, stops him, and slams him off the top turnbuckle. Brett bulldogs Diesel off the second rope. Brett gets belly-to-belly suplex from Diesel, and both men are slow to recover while Brett crawls towards the door but gets stopped. Diesel whips Brett, sternum first into the buckle. Brett recovers, slows Nash down with some kicks to his knees. He goes over the cage. Diesel stops him by grabbing his hair, so Brett had almost made it all the way over. Diesel poses to booze, makes the belt mimic to more booze. He throws Brett into the buckle again. Diesel goes for snake eyes, but Brett escapes, rams Diesel into the cage. Sharpshooter attempt, but Diesel thumbs Brett in the eye to escape, so he is a heel, maybe. The crowd didn't start chanting for Diesel for a second. It was so weird. Like, they were booing him a minute ago, and now they're cheering. Brett hits his signature elbow off the top turnbuckle. Brett tries to escape, and Diesel low blows him to stop him. Brett goes for a sharpshooter, but Diesel kicks him away and goes for the door. He kicks him away again. Diesel keeps crawling for the door, but suddenly, Undertaker bursts through the ring and grabs Diesel and takes him to hell, which is apparently located under the ring in this arena in Louisville. And Diesel disappears and dry ice billows out of the hole in the ring while Bret Hart just leaves the ring and wins the match. He crawls over the cage and wins the match, which is very unface-like thing to do. Wouldn't he try to go get Diesel and win the, the win the right way? No, not Bret Hart. He's like, fuck this, I want to get out of here and get to WrestleMania. Diesel then crawls out of the hole. He had ripped his tights somehow by going down into the hole. Uh, he climbs out of the cage and takes off. Taker gets out of the hole, climbs up the cage and poses as Diesel stumbles his way up the ramp. Taker's music plays and he poses to end the show. And that's our big build for WrestleMania. We have our matches pretty much established here. We have a lot of the card established. So, as far as establishing the WrestleMania 12 card, this show did that, even though some of that wouldn't happen. So, uh, but this match not a good, not a good match at all. And I 
usually think Brett gets the best out of Kevin Nash. I think Brett was Kevin Nash's best opponent, uh, despite whatever Diesel Kevin Nash would tell you. Uh, I think Brett always got the best match out of him, but tonight he just did not. A cage match isn't really Kevin Nash's thing in general. He's too tall for, for a cage match. I mean... He could reach the top of the cage standing in the ring because this was the old iron cage and it was small and it kind of looks silly with him in it. So, um, not a not a good main event. Definitely uh, a forgettable one. And uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? I I enjoyed this match. I thought it was done very well. I thought that it gave a lot to the event. Uh, it built a lot with the situation as they build with uh, Taker going forth for their WrestleMania 12 match. Later on, it was the wax dummy of Kevin Nash in the um, in the casket and just so on and so forth. I thought it was done very well. So I actually enjoyed this match. I'm not sure if it was the first time he had burst through a ring, but definitely a spot that they had repeated many times to this day. I didn't really like this match. It went 20 minutes. It was longer than the, than the number one contenders match. Um, I would have rather had five more minutes of Sean and Owen. And also, I would have liked the tease of of Diesel winning a little bit more. Like, I wish that instead of him crawling at the end, which he was crawling to prevent the camera from seeing Taker, like, cut through the the ring or whatever, but I would have preferred it if he was, like, walking to the door or the lights went out and, like, maybe... Maybe both men were in the opposite corner and you see Taker burst through the ring or something... I, I don't know. I think this could have been done a little bit better. It made Brett look really kind of like a scaredy cat, really. Like that he would take the easy way out. And really, if you watch this pay per view and then watch WrestleMania 12, there's no doubt that Sean's going to beat Brett. I mean, there's just no doubt because Brett was not presented very well here. He wasn't even. He wasn't even the focus of his own match. Undertaker was. Right. So, right. Um, whatever. I think this is a decent in your house. It's an easy watch. Most of the matches... I mean, the match... The Yokozuna match is only five minutes. Unfortunately, there's a ton of filler. And this is only a two-hour show. And there's a ton of filler. And when the show went off the air, they did three dark matches. Why didn't you just put some of these in the card instead of doing the filler like or do some more interviews or stuff while they build the cage or show a promo package or something i just the the roddy piper thing i love roddy piper but i thought that dragged on for way too long uh the three dark matches we missed at the end which were not shown anywhere i guess ahmed johnson defeated undertaker's brother who was still a dentist at this point isaac yankum dds the godwins defeated the Body Donnas. And then Undertaker got to work a match. He defeated Goldust by countout for the IC belt. So he didn't win the belt. But there you go. So in your house six, Rage in the Cage. Patrick, what are your thoughts overall on this show? It was 
decent for what it was. It was an in-your-house. It wasn't made to be a gigantic, massive, humongous pay-per-view like a WrestleMania or a SummerSlam, Survivor Series, so on and so forth. But it delivered as a B-rated pay-per-view. So I like it. Yeah, I think for 20 bucks you would have been satisfied as a wrestling fan. I think um, that's what made these things valuable. But like I said, nothing really of note usually happened on them. So if you go in with that mindset, if you go in knowing nothing's going to happen, I think you would be fine. Uh, I do wish, I know it would be crazy, but one of these years when they have these pay-per-views between Rumble and Mania where they tease swapping the main event with something, I wish one year they actually did it and just totally changed the main event from... Oh, yeah. Instead of making people wonder, just actually just out of nowhere decide they're going to do it and follow through with it and do it and scare the living shit out of them and go, wait, what the hell was that? Yeah, that way when you do these in the future, there's a chance that you might buy into it because they've done it so many times where it doesn't change, nothing changes, so you never believe it. And all it takes is one time, and you can get a few years out of that before people say, okay, well, they're they're not going to do it. They're not going back to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, on our rating scale, from Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, In Your House 6, Rage in the Cage. Uh, I'm going to give it a, a Bret Hart. A Bret Hart, wow. Uh, that's pretty good. I am going to give it a Duke the Dumpster Drozy, as this was a historical moment for me that I got to see a Duke the Dumpster Drozy singles match. Well, you know, he is a massive man, so... He is a pretty big dude. He's not taller than Hunter, but he was a... I mean, he's he's a dude that you wouldn't want to get into a bar fight with, but in terms of pro wrestlers, I mean, that's the reason he wore that gear, is because he wasn't, like... He wasn't cut... I mean, that's why they gave him that gimmick. If he had a body like Razor Ramon, he wouldn't be a dumpster driver or whatever. Uh, but man, that gimmick, there's no coming back from that. Like, but you know, it's like when they came up with the idea for Kane, like, and you're, you're thinking about wrestlers who you could not put out there with their face, because even if you repackage Duke, the dumpster Drozzy, people are going to know that's Duke, the dumpster Drozzy. So I bet like early on in who could be Kane, I imagine they might've thought of Duke, the dumpster Drozzy, but then they were like, ah, he's not tall enough. So fuck him. But he would have to, he would have to be a Mr. Wrestling to come back and get more work. Basically. That's gotta be Drozzy. It's gotta be Drozzy. (laughs) It's the dumpster. You're a dumpster, damn it. You smell like garbage. Um, I, I think I, Jerry had a good line where uh, 
I think Vince said something about taking out the trash. Is he going to take out the trash tonight? And the camera cuts to the crowd, and Jerry Lawler says, "Oh, I thought that was the trash." <laughs> so he had a he had a good one about Duke the dumpster. But yeah, much like uh, much like he did with Puke, I imagine that boardroom meeting with Duke the dumpster. You're a dumpster. You smell like garbage, dumpster. Yeah, like, just so weird. So weird. Vince is just the weirdest person. Um, so, it's my pick for this week, and, you know, a lot of times, these pay-per-views, like, this is a pay-per-view before WrestleMania, a lot of times the other pay-per-view that really doesn't matter that much is the pay-per-view before the Rumble. Well, one year, there was a pay-per-view before the Rumble that meant a whole lot, and it was Vengeance 2001, a very big night for Le Champion, Chris Jericho, as he would be facing Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock for not only the WWF title, but the WCW title, despite WCW not existing uh, after Survivor Series 2001. So uh, he was going to unify the belts, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Vengeance 2001, uh, which I've never watched, so... uh, we're going to review that next week. You you are in for a treat, sir. Oh, yeah. It also features Undertaker taking on Rob Van Dam, Trish and Jacqueline, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Kurt Angle, Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy, Edge and William Regal, and, oh, boy, the kickoff match, Patrick. Albert and Scotty Too Hottie taking on Christian and Test. Strap it. That opening match is going to be a barn burner. Well, that'll do it for this week for the Retro Wrestling Podcast. You can go to RetroWrestlingPodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at RetroWPodcast. How can they get in touch with you, Patrick? Uh, Patrick Young or Patrick Young Wrestling on Facebook. Uh, You can, I'm sure, Twitter, uh, our webpage will direct me to or direct you to my page on Twitter. Uh, that's about it. And you're do- you're doing another podcast soon with someone else. Yeah, what is that all I about? I got asked to be interviewed by two other podcasts. Uh, they are interested in learning more about the greatness that is Patrick Young. And so we are going to do a one-off with... Uh, I'm doing uh, recording Friday, and then I'm recording Monday. So I'm going to do a one-off with them. Uh, but I will, however, I'm sure we can put a link up or something like that. So. Yeah, so you're blowing up. You're going you're to start being on all these podcasts. Well, I mean, you know, I just can't pull a Sammy Guevara. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, don't say anything like that. Oh, All right, happened. well, uh, page. yeah, <laughs> uh, go to powerslam.tv, use the promo code retro wrestling. You can get a month for free. There's a lot of great stuff on there. And, uh, anyway, that'll do it for this week. I'm intern Alex. I am the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history. Patrick Young saying, as always, my clothes lines, a clothes line and bingo, bingo.
bout and still World Wrestling Federation champion, Hitman Hart. But Diesel was just pulled down into, into that hole as if it were hell itself. The Undertaker. Who's that? Diesel. Diesel's coming out of there. Diesel. Backing off and look at the look. Like. Oh my God. Diesel going over the top. His pants are ripped. Diesel is getting out of there. Diesel has seen a ghost. I thought we had seen it all, but I think that man has seen it all. He may have seen the face of hell. He may have been there. The Undertaker said it would be a cold day in hell when Diesel became the WWF champion. Unbelievable. I, I can't believe it. The hitman Bret Hart is still the WWF champion. And the Undertaker peering down on Diesel. Look at this. Look at this. Turnabout's fair play is Diesel. Cost the Undertaker the World Wrestling Federation title. Whoa! Undertaker said it would be a cold day in hell. When Diesel became the WWF champion, I think we know what he meant now. Diesel is spooked. He may not be afraid of the dark, but you get the impression he's afraid of what happened to him here, that's for sure. I thought I'd seen it all, McMahon, but I'd never seen anything like that in my life. Anything can happen here in the World Wrestling Federation.